Today, we arrive at the Ten Commandments. And no, I will not be doing the Ten Commandment boogie. <laughs> I don't know where you heard that from. But I once read about a rabbi sitting next to an atheist on an airplane. <clears throat> Every few minutes, one of the rabbi's children or grandchildren would come and inquire about his needs for food, drink, or comfort. The atheist commented, the respect your children and grandchildren show you is wonderful. My children and grandchildren don't treat me with that kind of respect. The rabbi responded, well, think about it. To my children and grandchildren, I am one step closer in the chain to the time when God spoke to the whole Jewish people on Mount Sinai. To your grandchildren and children, you are one step closer to being an ape. Think about it. <clears throat> the Ten Commandments given by God on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments first given in Exodus 20. That's where they first appear in the Bible. But if we just jump to Exodus 20 without studying the first 19 chapters as we've been doing all year this year, we tend to jump right to legalism, right to law. Right to earning God's salvation and favor by our works, doing his commandments as best as we can, hoping for the best, hoping that he'll save us. And if you ask so many people in the world, that's exactly what they think salvation is from, being good enough. Non-Christian Jews, Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholic doctrine, do this and you'll earn salvation. Don't do this, you'll earn God's punishment. And on and on we go through life as that is the basis of our salvation. But that is not the gospel. It never was. No, friends, we can't skip the first 19 chapters and just jump right into the law of God or we'll end up with that. If we do that, we'll never know or experience the real God behind the law, his heart, his love, his grace. His power, his work for us, his sovereignty, his holiness, his character, his provisions for us, and his calling to us. All of those things we'll miss if we just jump right into law. What have we seen in the chapters that come before the law? Let's just quickly review before we jump into law today. We saw a family clan, just looking back at where we've been in Exodus so far, a family clan that over 400 years in Egypt became a nation of two to three million people. We saw God choosing this nation to be his special nation, not because of anything that they did, but because he chose them out of his special favor. Guess what? That's us too. That's where our salvation comes, his choosing, not our work. This nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt and cried out to God to be set free, and he heard their cries, and he begins his whole movement of the entire world to freedom through this chosen nation. They acknowledged their sinfulness before a holy God and took lambs to shed their blood because they know the wages of sin is death, to repent of their sin, to be forgiven by God. And these chosen lambs symbolized who would later come as the ultimate, final Passover lamb, Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, to remove all sin and to remove all wrath of God for our sin. God accepts their repentance of these sacrificial lambs. He sets the people free miraculously through plagues, 
Passover, the Exodus, deliverance from being trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea, the ending of their enemy, Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, they are free. But they are not living free spiritually. They continue to worship Egypt's gods. They're not raising their children in the Lord. They're committing adultery. They're lying to each other. They're stealing from one another. They are coveting what everybody else has. And so God leads them into the wilderness to lovingly test them and to teach them about himself and to grow them patiently in the wilderness. And then, as we saw last week, to arrange them, to organize them into a healthy community where everybody has a role. This is the God that's about to give the law the God who has set free based on his initiative and his work, and now he's going to teach us what our title of the sermon is today, Set Free, Now How to Live Free. This is the story behind God's law. If you didn't get a bulletin yet, the guys are ready to, to give you one. The sermon notes are very helpful. Just raise your hand, and they'll give you one. Good. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat> Turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 19. This is the final background chapter before we enter the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. This sets it up. It gives one more opportunity to do point number one, to know the God who sets us free and teaches us to live free. Let's learn a little bit more about this great God by looking quickly at chapter 19. Right before the Ten Commandments, this chapter focuses on Yahweh making himself known once again to the people, and setting the terms for a relationship with God. He sets the terms. We need to learn them and live with them and be blessed by them. And it starts with God's calling. We see in the first six verses of chapter 19. We need God's laws. Oh, we need God's laws, and they are so good for us. But it's essential, and it's amazing to know the God who gave them and who calls us. Let's look at the first couple of verses. On the third new moon, that's a time stamp here, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim. That's where we were last week when all those amazing things happened last week. And now they've traveled and came to the wilderness of Sinai. This is a very big place in history. Here's a map. It's interesting. On the left, you see Jebel Musa. They're kind of in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. On the right, you see over to the east of the Red Sea, another location from Mount Sinai. You know what I've, I've heard is that there's about, I haven't been to the Holy Land, but I've heard that there's about 16 different locations where they say, they claim Mount Sinai was. We don't know for sure. Why do you think there might be 16 of them, though, that claim that? Tourism. Big money. People come from all over the world wanting to see Mount Sinai. Jebel Musa is, is the most likely, the traditional place, but we're not sure. Here's another picture of what Jebel Musa looks like. It's got the most space for these events to occur. That's another fun study. We're not going to spend any more time on that. Let's see what actually happens there. We'll continue in the text. And they encamped in the wilderness. <clears throat> there Israel encamped before the mountain. Verse 3, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, 
You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Here's a picture of God. An eagle. An eagle. What a great picture. This is a bird of prey to the enemies, to the Egyptians, and a bird of rescue and care for his people. Isn't this an amazing picture of God? Know that this is the God who's given you his law. He protects us. He calls us. He cares for us. And now see what he calls us and makes us. Verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant that I'm about to give you. Oh, how he cares for us. Look at this. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. If you're called to him today through Christ, this is you and me as well. Treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. In verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Oh, how he loves us, but he calls us to pursue him and his ways that he's going to give us. You see the God behind the law. We've seen Moses acting as a mediator. Remember that? As a mediator to go between God and the people. God spoke to him. The people spoke to him. He communicated back and forth. This is what's been going on the entire book of Exodus so far. Here, however, God gives his first indication that all of the people are going to function as mediators of God's grace and law to the rest of the world, a kingdom of priests. And guess what? This is exactly what the New Testament teaches the church is today. We don't need a priest, somebody to talk to go to to confess sins to God or to ask things for God. We go right to God. We're a kingdom of priests. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 9. This is talking about the church, about you and me. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This sounds exactly like Exodus. He's talking to us, the church. And here's the reason, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. He's called us, his treasured possession, to live for him, to serve him. And now he's going to tell us how. But before he gives us the Ten Commandments and then all the rest of the commandments in the Old Testament and then the New Testament, which all starts today, he's going to do one more thing in the rest of chapter 19. He's going to display his awe-inspiring holiness. Let's see what happens in verses 7 through 25. I'm just going to draw out a few things from these verses rather than study them closely because we need to get into the Ten Commandments. But here's how he sets it up. First, we see Moses giving the people the terms, and they accepted them. This is significant. We want to do the same thing. Verses 7 and 8. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded them. And verse 8. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. This is a really high moment for the nation of Israel. It's a positive note. They're tracking. We're with you, God. Tell us what you want us to do. So God says, okay, are you ready? I'm going to show you my holiness. Hold on. God tells them first, before I show you my holiness, you need to consecrate yourselves. You know what consecrate yourselves mean? It means prepare yourselves to be holy. It means you need to wash themselves. They all had to wash themselves, take a bath, to be ceremonially clean on the outside, and then look in their hearts. 
and do business with God and prepare their hearts to be free from the wickedness of the world on the inside. So they're consecrated, they're, they're holy, they're ready to hear from holy God. Then God says, gather around this mountain now, because I'm going to show you my holiness, but do not touch the mountain or you will die. This is God's holiness we're talking about. He is going to display his awe-striking holiness. The mountain will thunder. The mountain will clap. It will blast like a trumpet. It will smoke. And then he will speak. And speak he does. That's what happens in, verse 19, in, in chapter 19. And look in the last verse of chapter 19, verse 25. God tells Moses now to go back down the mountain so he could be with his people because his job as a mediator between God and the people is on hold for right now. God is going to speak directly to the people. They're prepared, as well as you can physically, humanly be. Exodus 20, verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words. I love this picture. You can find all kinds of pictures these days. This one I just love. There's the people encamped. They're prepared to hear from God, and yet, oh, it's terrifying when God shows up and speaks from the mountain. This is just an artist's rendition of it, but I like it. I think it's pretty accurate. As we prepare this morning, Community Grace, to hear what God says, know this God who speaks to us, how awesome and holy he is, how transcendent above us he is, and yet how much he loves and cares for each one of us. He's an amazing God. And we're amazingly blessed. What he says now, we will know, point two, how to live as one set free. Hear his words. Chapter 20 holds the Ten Commandments. But first, people often miss verse 2 of chapter 20 because they jump right to verse 3 where the Ten Commandments start. So let's just look at verse 2. This is so important. It's a mistake to miss verse 2 because in it we see the gospel pattern for all of human time. Verse 2 says, I, here's the first thing he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Meditate on that. Did you catch that? This is the gospel pattern. It is God who frees his people. It's not our good performance on these Ten Commandments that he's going to give us. We can't work our way into his favor, into salvation. It's by his grace that we're called out of slavery, that we're set free. For Egypt, it was salvation from Egypt through the promise of the Messiah, and for us, it's set free from sin into eternal salvation through the Messiah who did come, Jesus Christ. It's all because of God, his, his power, his prompting. Now, with that in mind, what do we do? How do we live? And he gives the Ten Commandments. A few thoughts before we go into the Ten. Here's a few thoughts. <clears throat> First, there are many other laws in the, New, in the Old Testament Somebody counted them. There are 613, to be exact, laws and commandments. These 10, where it all starts, make a comprehensive representation of all of the law, all of God's law. And we can gain and glean from all of, the God, all of God's laws in the Old Testament and in New Testament. But today, we see the 10, the great summary of all of them. And we need to pay attention to them. 
and take them very seriously. I would love to do a five or ten week sermon series on these, and maybe I will someday. There's a lot more to say about them but than what we have time for today. What we're going to do today is just see them in the context of the bigger story of God moving the world to freedom. That's, what we're, that's our goal today. Another note, they are, all, they are all repeated in the New Testament, and they are very much for us today. There's sample New Testament passages on your notes where they're repeated, just some samples, just so you know that. All except for one, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. And then finally, remember that the stone tablets have not been written yet. Here in chapter 20, in case you didn't catch this yet, God is speaking them directly. He'll write on the tablet later. We'll get to that in a future text. The Ten Commandments are split into two parts. First is toward God, those toward God. These are the first four commandments are commandments toward God. There is a progression to them. They're in order of importance. Our relationship with God is most important. It is most important. Then the next six relate to humans, our human interaction. Based on this about God, here's how we interact with other humans. You got this? Here's this comprehensive picture of God's law, how to live, all boiled down into these two categories. And and if God was tweeting on Twitter, he would say this, all of the laws summarize, love God first, love people likewise. You could fit that into a tweet, right? Here we go. Here are the Ten Commandments. Number one, no other gods. No other gods. No other gods. Number one. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, ancient civilizations and modern ones as well just didn't figure that one God would be, you know, all-encompassing. So they have all these many gods. All these many gods, many worshiping through creation, all parts of the creation rather than the creator. We fall into that. And honestly, falling into that is, allows us to keep ourselves as God, right? God is driving this mistake out of the minds, hearts, and lives of his chosen people. God's got to teach his kids first. First, the most important thing, don't forget this, is no other gods. I am God. You're not God. They're not God. Those things, they're not God. Nothing else is God. And you can't live free until you realize that. No other gods. There's only one God. This is where it all starts. The reason you're miserable is because you try to make other things God. He said, no, make me God. You're not miserable. We're not made to be gods. And that's why we're not free. God is made to be God. Or God is God. God is number one. And if he's not, we're miserable. If he is, then we're fulfilled no matter what the circumstances of life are. So that's number one. It's all about him. Him we worship. In him we are free. Commandment number two deepens this. He's not finished yet. Number two is no graven images. We worship only God and he must be worshiped in the right ways because he's God. Verses four through six lays this out. You shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is above heaven or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. He knows people make all these different gods from all these different parts of creation. Verse five, you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
Here's how we make sense of carved images. All my childhood growing up in church, I used to think, uh, we don't carve images and idols, so how do I process all these scriptures about idols? We don't have idols, right? I mean, if you grew up in church, you've, you've been through this process. But it doesn't take long. We start growing in our maturity and understanding a little bit, and we realize, wow, we do have a lot of idols. Tons of idols. You see, the reason they had so many carved images with all these funny names like Baal and Molech, Kamosh and Astra, they had so many because each of those gods or goddesses promised them something that they wanted. Fame, sex, fertility, money, power, influence, comfort, crops, pleasure, power, promotion, health, body image. All those things I've just said, guess what? Those are our idols. The devil's just rebranded them today. We even have one of the most popular TV shows of all time, American Idol. This is just blatant. Wanting any of those things more than we want God, that's just idolatry. And we humans can worship anything even our worship services. Please, church, hear this. Anytime you choose your preference over song selection, over God, worshiping God, authentic worshiping God and the purity of your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's an idol. We can make an idol out of anything, can't we? Hear this. Number two commandment. These are in order of importance. Remember, God is speaking this and the people are trembling Community grace, never hold anything more important than pure worship of God and relationships with other people. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're getting going here. Third commandment toward God, no profanity, blasphemy. Verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. All right, to understand this commandment, there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a variety of understandings. To understand it, you have to grasp two parts, the two parts that are underlined, the word name and the word take. First, the name of God. The name of God isn't just his name. The word's his name, Yahweh, God, Lord. It's not just that. Enveloped in the concept of name is all the attributes and all that there is about God. It's the fullness of God is involved in the name. That's why we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because doing so, we identify with all the nature of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the name, okay? So we grasp that. Everything about God is included in the name. Second, what it means to take his name. To take a name is to carry or bear that name. It is a full identifying with that name. So if you take the name of God in vain, you see the weight of this. If you're using it falsely, if you're swearing by it falsely or meaninglessly, if you treat God meaninglessly or disrespectfully, that's bad territory, friends. When someone around us says, oh my God, we better remember how awesome The holy God's name is. And lovingly, 
remind them the third commandment and how it ends. Look at the second part of that. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Those are towards God. Number four is the final one toward God. Keep the Sabbath. On your notes, you see the words, not in New Testament. Well, let's see this. What's this all about? Remember the Sabbath day, verses 8 through 11, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, or on it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament, and therefore we are not as a church held responsible to obey it. And this is why. Because something very special is going on with the Sabbath, with this fourth commandment. The Sabbath, as we read on in the text, is soon going to be part of the feast system. It's one of the seven feasts that make up the whole feast system of worshiping God. And as the Bible continues, the prophets into the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles, we understand in full now with the completed Word of God that all elements of all seven feasts are fulfilled in who? In Jesus, in Christ, the Messiah. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 proclaims this, let, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These were a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And Jesus himself claimed, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So here's what's happening here. Here's what the Sabbath was as Scripture reveals it. The Sabbath was a day for rest and worship, and it was holy in the whole Old Testament covenant between God and his people, and it was part of that feast system, and God was very serious about it, rest and worship on the seventh day. But Jesus fulfilling the Sabbath was for the purpose of showing him as our source of rest and peace. Not in some daily observance, not in some religious ritual. Our rest and our peace are in Jesus. Meditate on that and find rest and find peace in Jesus. Now we can still apply the principle of a weekly day of rest. I mean, God's entire creation strategy showed us that. He, that's why he did it. He didn't need He wasn't tired. <laughs> he did that for us, for a principle of resting, and it's important and it's wise and it's healthy for us, and we need to organize around that principle. But the command for today is to find our rest and peace in Jesus and no one else. So that's the first four commandments. And I hope that your relationship with God is improving and growing as he's teaching us, this holy God, how to live now that we're free. So we go on to the, to the other six commandments, and they're toward humans. <clears throat> Speaking of rest, um, we have six to go. Go ahead and take a little stretch. <laughs> I'm going to go quickly, though. But this is a lot to get through. They say, never have a 10-point sermon. That's crazy. 
So uh, here we go, all right? We're, we're thinking towards humans, each other now. I, I pray that this will heal our relationships, strengthen them, and we will experience the blessedness of living for God. Here we go. First one, right out of the gate, is honor parents. Verse 12, commandment five. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. As someone famously once said, when I was 16, my dad was not smart. But he learned a lot by the time I was 21. And he learned even more by the time I was 30. It's true, isn't it? So kids, even though you think your parents aren't smart or not cool, you have a job to do. I've said this before. You already have a job. Your job is to obey your parents, to honor your parents. That's your job. And it will go well with you if you do it, as you do it. No matter what, we honor the role of parent that God has given us. Adults, this never ends either. The, the form of honoring your parents will change over the years, but it's not over until we're all dead. That's when it ends. We honor our parents because in honoring our parents, whatever that looks like, and it's hard, but this is, this is one of the Ten Commandments for a huge reason. It's for our health, for our benefit, and it honors God, our ultimate parent, the perfect parent, in honoring your parents, you honor him, and it's how we and the world thrive. And that's why, again, these are in order of importance, and that's where the human relationships begin with a family. And this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is entirely positive. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's neat. And plus, it comes with a blessing from God as well. Success. It's very life-giving. So we continue with family dire, with human dynamics. Commandment number six, do not murder. No murder. Verse 13, you shall not murder. What does God value? What does God value? He values human life. Oh, he values human life. Why? Because of what we do? Certainly not, or he wouldn't value very much human life. He values it because its value is in the fact that we're image bearers of him. And he loves us. That's how he made us. He values humans above all of the rest of creation. The angels who are more powerful than us long to look at how God loves us weak and frail humans and became one of us. Wow. Wow. God values human life. So you take that. You take a life. Murder is the key word here. It says it means putting to death improperly for selfish reasons rather than just with just authorization. And that means it's murder. That means there is such a thing as just war. That's the only kind of war that God would ever be involved in. Any other taking of life is an assault on God's sanctity of life. From unjust wars to murder out of anger or jealousy to abortion. The killing of innocent life for our gods of comfort and convenience. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It's very serious. All humans are valuable because we're image bearers of God. Of course, Jesus even deepens that command by saying, even if you hold on to anger against another human, you're guilty of murdering in your hearts. We need to value other humans. All of them. They're of highest value to God. And similarly, commandment number seven continues this, no adultery. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. 
marriage and sexuality are sacred to God. And guess what? That's a big bulletin announcement to most of the Western world, which now is proclaiming and believing that the most important value to humans is to identify and follow your sexual desires. It's not. Purity before God is of the utmost highest value, even if it means denying ourselves, especially if it means denying ourselves of our sexual desires. Look, we're all dealing with sexual desires, whether heterosexual or homosexual. We're dealing with them. God is teaching us how to live. This is what he requires of us, what he's calling us to, what is good for us because he's holy and because he loves us. And we're going to support each other through this. In purity. Men, I ask you to pull out if you have a bulletin in front of you, the Conquer Series announcement card or invitation card. This is what we're going to do together this summer. We're going to work on this. Men, brothers from high school up or middle schoolers that are mature enough. We've been talking about this. This has all the details of what we're doing this summer and how to sign up for it. Please join that if you can. As has been said, if you, even if you can't make all 10 weeks, come anyway. We're going to fight this together in this vital area of our lives, the battle for purity that God calls us to for our good. And then number eight goes right into the next behavior towards humans, no stealing. Verse 15, you shall not steal because God values truth, honesty, ethics, integrity. Is this command confusing at all? No. It says, do not steal. Do not take anything that's not yours. Anything, anything, big or small. Just last week, our family was faced with an opportunity. This seems to happen pretty commonly. We're faced with an opportunity to bend the rules a little bit in order to get something free. And our kids said, no, that would be stealing. Yes. And I pray that they will always have that perspective. Always, big and small. And I have to admit, sometimes in the moment, I wrestle with it too. It's, oh, I could get bit. Listen, pay the cost of whatever it is to keep your integrity, your honesty, your truthfulness. Whatever the cost of whatever you give up or might gain is nothing in comparison to the treasure of honoring God. And his blessing is exponentially more than whatever that you don't report that income on your taxes. You stay in the movie theater for that second movie without paying for it. Whatever that silly thing is, God's blessing is exponentially more valuable. And the world thrives. That leads us to number nine, no lying. Same thing, to honor and love God and to honor and love others. You can't lie. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, God uses courtroom wording here. Remember he's speaking this. God is the master of language and figurative language. He uses courtroom wording here because I believe he's saying what issue in the world falls outside of God's courtroom? None. And then Colossians 3.9 just flat out says, do not lie to each other. <clears throat> Listen, the master deceiver and the father of lies is who? is Satan. He is the master deceiver and the father of lies. God is all truth. Satan is all 
deceiving, tricking, and lying. Lying is satanic. Never do it. Experience God bless, God's blessings. And lying always breaks trust. It ruins relationships. Again, with my kids, I urge them never to lie. I don't even care what you did. Just don't lie about it because if you lie about it, I can't trust you. And if you get in the habit of lying, you won't have friendships or thrive in this world or honor God. We can never, ever lie. And that brings us to the 10th commandment, which is called the deadening sin. No coveting. Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his sports car or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, anything. Listen, we always want more, don't we? Our flesh craves it. We want more and more. You take a kid to a store. What do they want? More. And if we're honest, so do we. We want more respect. Our flesh just rages. I need respect. We want more money. We want more nice things, more vacations, more attention from girls or guys, more of a buzz. Our flesh needs to be gratified. It rages. We're unsettled, not content. We want more. We want more. Why is this called, this commandment called the deadening sin? That's because this one leads us to break all 10 of the Ten Commandments. Completely grinds us down and destroys us. The New Testament tells us exactly how to have victory here. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with all you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We always have God, and that's more than we need. We have everything we need. These are the Ten Commandments. Know the God, first of all, who gives them to us and who teaches us how to live. He's spoken to directly to the people. And this, this is what the passage closes with. I like this closing here. See our response in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Let's see how the people responded to God speaking directly to them. On that great day, this is, this is great, <clears throat> verses 18 through 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us from now on. And we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They felt very close to death, standing in the presence of God, veiled as he was, speaking from the mountain directly to them. They almost died. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's true. But their mediator came in. He did. He did his role. Moses stepped in and says this, verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. They received the Ten Commandments that day directly from God, and they committed. 
doing their best. But guess what? They failed. They'll fail lots of times, won't they? You've read before. You've read ahead in the text. And their mediator will fail as well, Moses. That's why God's grace is what we need. But there is a mediator, a greater mediator, who did not fail. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Galatians 4 says he was born under the law. Got that? He was born under the law. This is what we're talking about, the law, to redeem those under the law. Jesus obeyed God's law perfectly, and then he paid the penalty for all the breaking of the law that we've ever done so that we could inherit the righteousness and blessing of God by believing in him. We're talking next steps now to conclude. Put your faith, believe in Jesus. You won't get to God any other way. You won't be spiritually alive any other way. Oh, but he is good. His arms are stretched out to you. So here's our response in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And it serves as our next steps here. I have three props, this tablet, waiting for the hand of God to write the Ten Commandments on it. The cross and the Holy Spirit pictured in the fire and the dove. And here's what I want you to, to walk away with today. How to live, now that we're set free, but how do we live free? First, we appreciate the law. We love the law of God because in it, he gives us everything we need to know, how to serve him, how to thrive in life. It cuts through all cultures. All cultures push back on God's law at different points. We're not the only culture. We have our things that seem to conflict with God's law. God's law is what we follow. It's a blessing. But when we fail it, because we will, because we do, because we're not perfect and neither can we be, that's when we turn to Christ and receive our forgiveness under his righteousness, and he gives his righteousness to us, we go to Jesus, we go to Jesus, we confess our sins, and we claim his forgiveness and his righteousness. Every time it's inexhaustible, his grace, because he paid the price for it, and then he goes a step further and gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to understand the law and the gospel and to live and obey it more successfully, more faithfully as we go in life. It teaches us more about the law. And we may improve at obeying it, but when we fail, we go to Christ. It's a beautiful cycle, isn't it? This is our, the provisions of our lives for our lives. This is, we are set free. This is how to live free. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God. And we're very very thankful and grateful to know you, to follow you, to have your instruction and your loving care and your power, your forgiveness, and then your power and then your wisdom and then forgiveness and then your power and then your wisdom and forgiveness. We admit that we're not perfect and can't be, but we sure do love you and Jesus who you provided to be our perfection for us. May we be faithfully always increasing, growing in him as you've commanded. In Jesus' name, amen.